0: Question number one, I'm going to, I'm going to send this over to Damon. How about that? Is that okay? Question number one, why do you think some men are physically present in their marriage, but absent as spiritual leaders? I'll say that again. Why do you think some men are physically present in their marriage, but absent as spiritual leaders?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, I I think probably the biggest reason why uh, men are physically present in their marriages but absent as spiritual leaders is because before you can uh, be a leader in anything, you first have to lead yourself. Good. Very, very important. I I think one of the challenges that men struggle with probably primarily is Mm. uh, self-leadership, self-discipline, being able to uh, control their desires, control their appetites, uh, being uh, disciplined to whether it's being on time or, or disciplined in your thinking or disciplined in studying the word of God, uh, disciplined in uh, praying, uh, the, just foundational things that can, can sometimes make things a challenge. Because, see, see, when you put these disciplines in your life, what it does, it, it disciplines you mentally. And, and, and one of the reason, one of the challenges of being places and not actually being physically there. Is a is a oftentimes is a matter of self discipline, particularly mental discipline. It takes mental discipline to to not just uh, physically be somewhere, but to mentally be there and emotionally be there as well. And so, I, I think it's very important that the whole self discipline aspect, being able to focus, being able to uh, have your attention. I, I know one of the things that. Uh, i 'm very conscious of when i 'm speaking with my wife is that I focus on her that i I have eye contact with her that I am not just physically but because, because oftentimes you know as men you know we wear a lot of different hats we 're fathers uh, we're we 're sons uh, we 're workers, and oftentimes when we are transferring from one location to another, one of the things I do particularly when I come home from work, is that I, I really start to wean myself out of the environment that I was in so I can prepare myself for the home environment. Mm. Very important. And so and so I mean, particularly men, we have I mean, we love to work. We love to work hard. We love to to really get ourselves into what we're doing. But that's that environment. So that's what's at the worker. But now when I come home, I have to put on the dad hat. I have to put on the husband hat. And so being able to make those transitions and being
0: able to go from one place to another takes a lot of discipline. No, that's huge. That's huge. Uh, uh, Stephen, would you speak quickly to the spiritual leader aspect of the question as well? And I, th- and I think you spoke brilliantly to the fact that men are supposed to be all there, not just present, present physically, but present emotionally, uh, uh, giving our undivided attention, not just to our spouse, but to our children as well as we lead them. Talk a little bit about the spiritual component. Let, let me let me tell you why I- I- I'm going to uh, maybe emphasize that a little bit. Uh, simply because uh, recently is a gentleman who started attending our church, and the reason he started attending our church is because a coworker of his, who is female, said to him, "You need to check out city church. There's a whole bunch of strong men there. Historically, for the church, we have sort of relegated and delegated spiritual things to women. Most of the prayer meetings, if you talk about the old traditional church, the leaders in the church, in terms of spiritual things, were always women. Men took a back seat to women when it came to spiritual things. But when it comes to money, when it comes to maybe even discipline, that's when men feel a need to step in. But historically, for some reason, spiritual things have not really attracted men. We wanna go against the grain, and I just want you to chime in and and maybe speak to why spiritual things for some men historically have not been that, for lack of a better phrase, that sexy.
2: Yeah, No. and again, I think that's a really good question. I think the root of it is, you know, the Bible says, train a child up in the way they should go, right? So I think the root of it is stems from lack of training. We train our boys to be great athletes. We tell them to be great providers. Uh, We tell them, you know, not to cry. We tell them to to lead the family in a number of physical ways, right? Um, But... We never show them how to lead the family from a spiritual perspective. And so if our fathers never taught us how to be spiritual leaders, it's difficult for us to take that position in our families. And then if we're not taking that position in our families, we don't teach our sons how to be spiritual leaders. And I think that's one of the positive things about Fight Club, the men when we get together, because we spend uh, an hour plus just building each other up, talking through those things that help Um, reinforce what it means to be spiritual leaders and how to spiritually fight for our families, fight for our churches, fight for our communities. Because what's evident as a part of those conversations is that this is something that the men of God have been yearning for for a long time in the ability amongst other men to be transparent. The Bible says how beautiful it is Uh, for the uh, 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 men to gather together. It is like the the oil, the anointing oil that flowed down the beard of Aaron. And when you can get a a number of men in a room who just open up and are transparent about some of the things that they are struggling with in life, in family, at work, and men begin to encourage and speak the word into their lives, it is just a powerful thing. And then you get that training. We train our kids how to... We potty train them, right? And so... If we are not receiving that training, then the discipline comes, but there's no foundation upon which the discipline can apply itself because they were never trained, right? And so I think the two go really hand in hand. Fantastic. Yes, yes, please.
3: One thing, also as women, sometimes we are uh, too independent. Um, I call it big mouth Betty. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can just know too much and we can unintentionally emasculate men Our men. We can be very uh, forceful and men will take a back seat. They're like, okay, I don't want to fight it. It's not in every case, but just sometimes we have to be aware of ourselves. If we go back to Genesis two and three, uh, there Adam and Eve are in the garden. The serpent begins to speak to Eve. Eve did not yield that conversation to her husband. Yeah. She did not say, hey, don't talk to me, talk to Adam. She didn't call Adam over and say, hey, he's talking out of turn. Her independence, which God has given us an independence, but we have to know and have to be submitted to the Lord and then our husbands to know the ebb and flow of that independence. And so we see uh, Adam just take a back seat because... Eve was handling it. So sometimes it can be a combination of the men not having training, of them not having discipline, but also as women, as independent women, and God gave us as a helpmate to our husbands. So there's nothing wrong with that independence. We just have to know how to use it. And as a wife, or a significant other, if you want the men to lead instead of emasculating them. You don't ever lead. I want you to do this. Sometimes they just don't know how, and you can help change that, number one, through prayer. Number two, having a good, healthy support system system around you, but then asking questions instead of just saying, well, you didn't do this, and I thought you were supposed to do this, and you should have known, and instead of saying, hey, baby, Uh, can we talk about doing things this way? Or, hey, baby, it makes me feel better if uh, you do this. Or, baby, I feel most comfortable if you lead in this situation. And so it can be a a number of things, but, you know, definitely discipline, definitely training. But as women, sometimes we uh, have to take a a little bit more of a, a backseat in some things and, and our approach It's not the effort that can get us into trouble, uh, in most situations, but especially with our men, it can be our approach that can make him feel like, well, she know everything anyway, so I'm gonna let her do it. And, and we can kind of create an environment that we don't want to have.
0: Absolutely. So what we see in the garden of Eden is two things. We see Eve's independence, but we also see Adam's indifference. I would venture to say that many times as men, if there's a struggle or if there's tension in your relationship because because you think your wife may be too independent, it's usually because you're indifferent. Oh, y'all didn't like that one. (laughs) Let me tell you why now. Let me tell you why. I know this is the first question and we take a little bit of time with it. But when you read the Genesis account, the first thing God told Adam was he placed Adam in the garden to tend it and to keep it. Two things. Two things he was responsible for number 1 to tend the garden so his first assignment was to be a cultivator to be a good steward over what God had entrusted to him the land the animals the vegetation etc number 2 the word that's used there was that he was called to keep the garden right to keep that means to protect it's a military word and it speaks of defense Long before the serpent shows up in the garden in Genesis 3, God has already warned Adam that there is an enemy out there. Are y'all listening to me? So the problem is the fact that Adam was standing there and the serpent was speaking to his wife when he had already been informed to protect the garden. So when a man struggles with a woman who he might think is independent and we celebrate, I celebrate independent women. Go get yours. Go get yours. I'm talking about girl magic. Go get yours. Go get, did I say that already? <laughs> okay, okay. Go get yours. That's one struggle you will not have at city church. We celebrate women. We celebrate women in leadership because we believe that God has uniquely anointed, gifted women. But we also celebrate order. So part of the challenge is how do we find the balance between An independent woman and an indifferent man. Let me tell you about the the spiritual man. Part of the problem is who we follow. Let me tell you why most men don't want to be spiritual leaders. It's because we've been introduced to the wrong version of Jesus. Let me tell you. The version of Jesus that most men are introduced to, excuse me, is a real somber Soft-spoken Jesus in the movies, barely raises his voice, talks like a girl. I'm not being irreverent, because when you watch those movies, that's what you see. But the scripture picks a picture of a savage Jesus. Any guy who can walk into the temple and start turning over money changers' tables, messing with people's money, and walk out and drop the mic is a savage Jesus. Jesus, Any any version of Jesus that can take on the religious establishment of the day is not some weak, uh, 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 soft man. And the problem with most men, the version of Jesus that our moms introduced us to, not our dads, our moms introduced us to, was a Jesus who said, turn the other cheek. And for most men, that's not attractive. But when we look to the word of God, we will see a Jesus who was a warrior. In fact, the scripture says in Exodus 18 that the Lord our God is a man of war. Psalm 144 says, Thanks be to God who teaches my hands to war and my my fingers for battle. Our God and the one we follow is not indifferent about things that matter. And I think if men are going to take their role uh, uh, as spiritual leaders in the family, they have to be introduced to a Jesus that resonates with them. Because as men, we were created to cultivate and protect. And I think that's where, as the church, we have fallen short. But when you come to Fight Club, you're going to be on every every single aspect, every single step of the spectrum. Last, yesterday, there was not flowing there were tears flowing that's how we get down so make sure if you come to Fight Club wear your medium t-shirts and bring some Kleenex because we do it both there's a whole lot of guys over there wearing extra tight t-shirts I don't know why they do it anyway let's move on to question number two it may In be the leader name. they follow oh, it may be the oh wow 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 wasn't, that wasn't a dig you said
3: you like medium.
0: i do like medium. yes but this happens to be a large by the way today it is but it i can see I your muscles still up. that's what it is you see the horseshoe look at the horseshoe right there. i see
3: it baby Ooh, yes
0: <laughs> okay okay let's let's get back to the message that jesus said. what's question number two did was that helpful at all was that helpful at all? Okay, very good, very good. Uh, question number two, what is question number two? Question number two is, what does it look like for a man to have a vision for his marriage or his family? What does that look like? Stephen, why don't you jump in there? Uh, yeah.
2: Sorry. Um, I, I think about David and in the, in the word of God, what it declares about him, that he was a man after God's own heart. Um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think to have a vision for your family means that you have this clear understanding as to your purpose and where you ought to be taking your family. But I think it does mean that you're following hard after God, that at every turn you're seeking God for understanding and direction so that you can speak that into your family Uh, and praying for your family and your wife so that there might be alignment as it relates to that vision. But if you're, if you're chasing hard after God, seeking God, then I think that's what that means to have a vision. Because now, as opposed to you coming up with your good ideas, you're seeking God for God ideas, right? And so that's absolutely very good. Damon,
0: why don't you chime in? I
1: I think one of the the challenges that a lot of men have as it pertains to a vision for their marriage and their family, see, in order to have a clear vision, you first have to see a good vision. Good. And I think oftentimes, you know, most men, if you never grew up in a household that had a strong marriage, or if you never grew up in a household that had a healthy relationship between parents i mean I, I was blessed and fortunate enough to my parents but before my father passed away a few years ago, my parents were married for almost fifty years mm-hmm. and so but one of the things uh, I realize is that, that unfortunately that 's not always the norm anymore mm-hmm. you know and so and so one of the one of the, the the important things about, you know, being in a great church, seeing our pastors, uh, Pastor Ren Wendy, seeing their great marriage, you know, seeing other people healthy marriages is that when you see healthy marriage and you see healthy relationships and you, and you surround yourself, with, even if you didn't grow up in that type of environment, it, it, once you start getting exposed to great relationships and great marriage and having a great vision like that, that, what that does, that now gives you a picture and a framework to work with, and, and now you can see, okay, okay, this is the way I should love my wife. This is the way that a woman should treat a husband. This is the, and, so, and so that gives you a base to start from. I, I, a lot of people, they're starting from ground zero when it comes to relationships. They start from ground zero when it comes to marriage. They, they don't even have a, a good base, but I, I'm just grateful when, when you come into a sound church that you can have examples of what it means to have a strong vision and examples of what it means to have a strong family. And once you have that example, you can build from that.
0: Fantastic. Uh, This is one of the things we say often here at City Church, that you cannot lead or live beyond what you've been exposed to. That's so true. I'll say that again. No one, male or female, can lead or live beyond what they've been exposed to. So as men, if we're going to have a compelling vision uh, for our family, we must discover that from God's word. Let me give you a compelling vision of what the family ought to look like from God's word. Uh, Psalm 128, Psalm 128, beginning at verse one, it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. It says, when you eat the labor of your hands, let me tell you something about a man with vision for his family. He is first of all, a provider. Notice what it says, when you eat the labor of your hands, he is responsible enough to take care of the material and physical needs of his family. It says, when you eat The labor of your hands, you will be happy, and it shall be well with you. Notice verse 3. It says, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. When you look at your wife, man, hmm? when you look at your wife's life, she's like a fruitful vine. Vine. There's something about her that produces. There's something about her that is alive. There's something about her that is, what's the word I'm looking for? There's something about her that is that, that, that is, uh, is free to live, free to dream. Because as the man, you're not inhibiting what God's doing in her life. She's a fruitful vine in your house. You create an environment where your, here's the word, where your wife can flourish. Where your wife can flourish. Most men were taught. Uh, this is church, church, church marriages. Wives, submit to your husband. That means do what I say. And what most, most marriages end up hap, uh, uh, producing are wives who are more frustrated than they are fruitful. But a man who has, who fears the Lord, first of all, is a provider and a protector And the evidence of that is you will look around and you'll see your wife and she will be a fruitful vine. She will flourish in every area of her life. Notice what it says. It says your children are like olive plants all around your table. I wish I had time to talk about the imagery there, but let's go on to verse four. It says, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. I wish I could talk some more about that, but what I'm saying is simply this, that as men, we cannot lead our families beyond what we've been exposed to and what we need to be exposed to, Rightfully, you said rightfully, examples of good godly marriages. But let's go back to the blueprint in God's word and discover God's plan for what marriage should look like. Psalm 128 is an example of that. Are you with me? Very good. All right. Uh, let me just say this one last thing. My mentor, who, is, who, is, uh, who passed several years ago, uh, actually his wife. I'm sitting there having this conversation with him. This is what she said. "Is that my husband is most attractive to me. When he's pursuing God. Let me tell you why she said that. She said that because if her husband is pursuing God, then he knows he's, she knows he's in pursuit of what God wants. His heart is now aligned with what God desires and therefore she can trust his decisions, his direction, his vision. Because it's not coming from some arbitrary place. It's coming out of his intimacy with God. God. So, women, I know you got your list of what he's got to have and what he's got to look like. Please, at the top of that list, make sure he is a man, like Stephen said, after God's own heart. Everything else is secondary. And let me caution and, and, and admonish you. If God is not first in his life, everything else in his life is out of order. No matter how successful he is, no matter how fine he is, no matter how good he smells. If God is not in first place, everything else is out of order. A word to the wise is quite sufficient. All right, let's go on to question number three. Latanya. we got to let you jump in. We got to let you jump in. Okay, what's the next question? In a blended family, in a blended family, how do you tell your wife, come on, somebody, uh, how do you tell your wife to let her kids grow up and figure out stuff on their own? Especially if they're grown. Is that what it said? <laughs> especially if they're over 18, my bad, especially if they're over 18. Listen to the flip side, listen to the flip side. We're going to answer, Well, here's the B side, she doesn't realize it's putting a damper on our marriage, so Latanya, I'm throwing you in the deep end, girl. Go for it.
2: So I'm going to hand the mic to uh, my wife, T. Uh, I think the Bible talks about leaving and cleaving, and one of the things that's primary in every relationship is to make sure your relationship with your significant other is solid. That you're working to become one. Because the enemy will use everything, even your stepchildren, even your biological children, to try to put a wedge between you and your wife. And so one of the things I love about Latanya was when we first started dating, she said when she gets married again, she knows it's going to be a blended family. But her heart and her mind is set toward making sure that there's no seam, there's no gap between her and her husband such that that marriage looks unified and, and that was powerful to me um, and so I'm going to ask her because we've had this question we've had this conversation before you know and so I'm going to hand the mic to her and let her tell you what her response and what she thought about it
4: y'all know I'm up here with all these pastors I'm talking to you like I'm your sister girl so I'm where I'm coming from Um, but Stephen was right so when we did get married that was my heart that there were no lines so when we were together you wouldn't be able to say she belongs to him, he belongs to her I I didn't want that to be the case and so um, we were deliberate intentional and we're still you still have to be deliberate intentional about that this is a conversation that we've had um, and I was able to, um, I was in a position to be able to receive what he said to me. First of all, it wasn't the first time I'd heard it. Um, and he said, basically you, you have got to take your hands off. You've got to let, you know, him grow up and let the Lord do what the Lord's going to do. Mm-hmm. You've done what you're supposed to do. So for me, I was able to receive that from him probably because it was a season that, you know, he always says when the uh, student is ready, the teacher will come. Mm-hmm. I was ready. Um, but my heart trusted him, so I was able to receive what he said to me. That also put me in a position where I had to stop and be introspective. I had to be introspective and um, ask myself, why was I even still trying to parent like that? Um, there was a reason I was doing that. In doing that, I had to realize that there are seasons in parenting, and I was stuck in the first season. Mm. I was not allowing my son to do what he needed to do. Um, so in, in the season of when they're little, we're training and we're teaching. You know, maybe in um, when they're youth year we're coaching. You know, you would step back a little bit. You got the playbook. You know how it's supposed to go. We might add a few more plays to the playbook, but basically you know how this is supposed to work. When he left home, I should have took the role of counselor. I have um, a little bit of control freak in me. <laughs> So that played a part in it, too. But what, when, and being introspective, I realized that I was parenting him from a, a place of deficit in my own life. I had daddy issues. I had stepdaddy issues. His dad was not there. So I was trying to make up for um, probably some things that were, were lacking in my own life because I didn't get the help that I needed. I um, didn't even realize I needed the help. So there were things that I was doing to keep him from feeling some of the things that I felt or so I thought. Um, and then in trying to, to, you know, guide him, I was being the helicopter mom. Um, and I had to get to a place where I realized, you need to deal with your own issues. And doing that, I did counseling to help me go pull up my own route um, mm. of why those things were happening. And then allowed me to be able to step back a little bit and realize God has a plan for him. Mm. I had one. It was good. I had the script all written out. He wasn't doing nothing I had scripted him to do. He was all over the place. But I realized God's plan is way better than mine anyway. Good. You know, good. So take your hands off. Trust that um, God's plan will work out, even if he makes a bad decision. And, and he's made some. Um, the Lord's made me some promises regarding him. And good. so I have to stand on the word of God and trust. One, I can't love him more than God can. Good. Can't, good. That, that can't happen. So I have to trust every promise, and I speak promises over my son every single day. And until they come to fruition, and some of them have already begun to come to fruition, but until they, um, I can see them, the game's not over. I'm sitting Good. in the battle. I'm going to keep speaking. But he who promised is faithful. Yes, he is. And until I see that, we still in here, and we still got some work to do. But I'm going to let him make the decisions so that I'm not being the savior That he looks to Jesus when he's in trouble, and he's not looking to me to fix his problem. Very good. Very good. Awesome. Fantastic. And the one
2: thing that it says: How do you tell your wife? It doesn't matter how you tell her if she's not in a place, if she doesn't see you as a a a person whom she can trust, and she's not in a place where uh, she's dealt with some of her issues and she can look introspectively. Every everything you say, no matter how you say it, is going to feel like an attack. And I think, right. because we started out having had that conversation, it wasn't the first time that she'd heard it before. She was in a place not only to hear what I said, n- more so see what I've done with my child, my my daughter, and my other stepdaughter. Um, and that that kind of positioned her such that she didn't have to fight this battle on several battlefronts. Right? She didn't have to fight what I was saying because. He might be jealous, or this, that, and the other, my son. And then I got to fight my own issues, and I got to fight, the, you know, the fact that his daddy wasn't there. All I have to do is worry about where I am because I know he's coming from a safe place. So I think that that that's huge, right?
0: Fantastic. Was that helpful? That was so helpful. Good. Good stuff. Very, very good. All right. What's our next question? Uh, or did we know to jump on that? Did we talk about how it's putting damper on the marriage? Or do we want to navigate that part, or no? How do how do how do you, how do you, how do you work through that while you're giving that person uh, the time or the space uh, to be able to hear or to see for themselves? You talked about a season of introspection where you had to deal with yourself. What do you do while you're waiting for that moment when the person is ready to hear what you have to say? Because in the meantime, it's putting a damper. It's negatively impacting the relationship. What do you do?
2: I I think at the end of the day, you have to trust that... um you have to trust that the words that you speak and the person that you um, decided to join with in marriage is going, God's going to put them in a place where they're able to hear it. Uh, you're only going to frustrate yourself trying to work in God's area. Sometimes you speak the word, you trust the Lord, and you step back and allow the Lord to do it because at some t- one of the things that will happen eventually is that God has a way of of isolating those kids and putting them in situations such that the, the trouble that they may find themselves in, the difficulty that they may find themselves in is difficulty that they're going to have to go through. You can't reach in and pull them out, right? And so for years you've been able to, to save them. You've been able to jump in and, and be super mom, super dad, whatever. But all of a sudden you'll look up and you'll find them in a situation that you want to be able to jump in and help but you can't. And in that season, you'll realize, you know what? The Lord has tied my hands. Uh, What I've been hearing, there's a lot of validity to that. God is trying to do something with him and I keep getting in the way. And so if you allow God to do the work instead of frustrating it and just step back and trust the Lord,
0: then I think you'll be okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Only thing I'll say to the B portion of the question is uh, one of the, the, the things we say here at City Church uh, as it relates to patience is that patience is learning to move at somebody else's pace. One of the things we're called to as husbands and wives in covenant who love each other with the God kind of love, agape. Uh, you read 1 Corinthians 13 and the first thing it says about love is that love is Patient. So if I really love this person that I'm in covenant with, I will choose patience. I will choose to move at their pace because just because I'm ready doesn't necessarily mean they are ready. And one of the ways I can show that I truly love and care for this person is that I will patiently walk with them through their process. Are y'all with me? So the key is while you're waiting for this person to be able to hear what they need to hear is I will choose patience. Go ahead and put James chapter one, uh, on the, on the, on the screens real quick. I'll just read uh, a few verses, I think two and three, James chapter one, verses two and three. And then let's cue up this next question. Um, uh, y'all got some theology questions that I want to jump in, but we're getting a whole lot of questions about relationships. Can we hang out here for just a little bit, just a little bit longer? Um, Uh, James 1, James chapter 1, yeah, Uh, verse 2. Let's go to verse 2. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce what? Patience. Patience. Notice what it says in verse 4. It says, but let patience have its perfect work. Pump the brakes right there, pastor. What does that mean? It means don't abandon the process prematurely. Don't throw in the towel when it gets hard. Don't throw in the towel when he said, man, I've been waiting for months and months and months and this thing hasn't really changed. It says, let patience have its perfect work. Let the process run its course that you may be what? Perfect. That word perfect means mature, that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. What that means is your patience is not only helping them to work through their process, giving them the time to work. Your patience is actually helping you. You're becoming mature. You're becoming complete. And when the process has run its course, guess what? You will lack nothing. Are y'all with me? That's what you do while you wait. The other thing I'll say is simply this, and I've said it before. uh, Whatever that thing is that you're working through, when you complete your grief, you can continue your growth. Most of us are stunted in the place where we were wounded last. So what LaTanya had to do, even with her son, who was now an adult, she had to go back to that place where she suffered those wounds from her dad, her stepdad, and in that place, from that place of healing, what she was dealing with, she was then able to let go. When you complete your grief, whatever you're grieving, loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, Complete your grief. And then you will be able to continue your growth. Last thing I'm going to say. Did I say that already? Mm-hmm. Last thing I'm going to say. If, if, if one of the telltale signs is that you are an enabler. Is when helping you is hurting me. I have become an enabler. So uh, what you want to avoid is relationships whether it's your children, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. We're helping that person now. Is now hurting you. You have to become an enabler, and you need to address it. Amen. Mm-hmm.
3: One thing: let's remember that blended means together, not separate. Good. And so, if Very you, good. you know, we make smoothies often when we blend strawberries and bananas together, when we blend them, there's no separation. Good. You can see that the red is more prominent. But there is no separation. So blended is together. And sometimes we can go into blended situations. And a lot of times we don't know any better. And we, you know, was yours is yours. Was mine is mine. And we'll just come together and try to do this marriage. But it's blended. So it can't be separate. One way you can approach the situation, say, This is just a a hypothetical. This has nothing to do with anybody here, so I don't know anybody's business. I haven't talked to anybody in the last couple of weeks about this, but I'm just going to throw a situation out. Say if you got a situation where an adult child, maybe they get picked up for traffic, some violation, they have to go to jail. And the mom, which is hard for a a, a man to understand because that nurturing part of a mom, without even thinking, she jumps up, she's just going to go bail him out. And you're thinking... We told that joker two months ago to take care of those tickets. Instead of falling back, not saying anything, just being mad with her, maybe stop her at the door and say, Hey, can we talk about this before you go? First question. Because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. As a mother, depending on her upbringing, she could have come from a family where you're taught that's the only way to be a good mother is to do everything. She could be- believe out of her own lack, believe that, oh, I've got to do all these things. And, you know, or if she didn't start off as a good mother, she could be trying to make up for something. So one thing, she may not just be aware, so you could just stop her. Hey, can we talk about it before you go? If she's in a panic, just say, can we just, I just want to ask you something. And to ask questions without saying, you always bail them out. You always do this. Or it could be her. You can say, Do you remember the conversation we had with them? I just want to ask you, I'm not saying not to go. Do you think this will be best? And sometimes when there is love and trust, you can help somebody become aware of themselves without telling them. And without coming at them aggressively, just talking through some things. So just, you just be encouraged that if you're blended, it's together. You don't just get to marry the spouse and have, you know, a romantic relationship and not deal with all the peripheral. And so just, we can restart and rework those things and just prayer. Yeah. Even if you're frustrated, say, Lord. She's always doing this and this gets on my nerves. Help me to understand and just pray. And sometimes in the moment you can't ask the questions, you can't talk about it. Say if somebody done something without seeking your opinion first or being able to talk about it, talk about it afterwards. Say, hey, when you did that without us talking, this is how it made me feel. But always You know, try to be on the solution side and try to have empathy. You know, Nia's going to high school on the twentieth, and I'm just thinking, I should have homeschooled her from the very beginning. (laughs) It is so too late I homeschool Levi. But that motherly panic—it's like middle school. It was okay, but there's going to be four different schools in one high school. The level of negative influence increases by. 3,300 students. And I am literally thinking in the shower. Why didn't I think about homeschooling her from the very beginning? And I am fighting my own panic about her getting on the bus
4: to go to (laughs) high school.
3: We've never let her ride the bus because I saw some YouTube situation where the kid got bullied on the bus and the boy slapped him. And Nia has never ridden a school bus. So guess what? I'm gonna grow up. And put her on the bus on the first day. And I'm going to close my eyes and go eat me a gluten-free biscuit. And just, I'm just going to rock in the kitchen. Because guess what? This is a process for me to trust God. I'm just going to rock and eat and drink some coffee. And so, as a mother, you can get into panics about the silliest thing. Right. Yours, it might be adult children. Mine is just putting a girl on the bus. And so just have some, some empathy. Just have some patience and tell yourself we are blended. That means we are together.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Very good. All right. So, so we're going to do rapid fire because we have several questions. We haven't made it to. We're going to go rapid fire here quickly. Uh, let's, uh, real quick, I'll just answer this one. It says, uh, uh, my girlfriend says, uh, this is, I think, question number two. Uh, my girlfriend says, if I don't go to church every Sunday, God will leave me behind. Well, I'm not sure what God will leave me behind means, but let me just say this. In First Peter, the scripture says uh, that God is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness. What it's saying is God ain't like you and me. God's timetable for each of us is different than what our timetable would be. So God is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, right? But he is willing that everyone should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that none should perish, that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So God is not in the business of leaving us behind. He is patient, He is long-suffering. In that very verse, it says, "For a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years." So just because it's not happening at your pace, doesn't mean it's too late for Him and God go leaving behind. Let me give you the flip side, though, for your boyfriend. The scripture says, if you you hear his voice today, harden not your heart. And if the person is here today, let that be an admonition to you. If God is in pursuit of you and God is talking to you, if you hear his voice today, do not harden. Harden your heart, because tomorrow <laughs> is not guaranteed. I saw, I saw a, a, a graphic, and it was a, a Muhammad Ali quote, and this is what he said. He said, live every day as if it's your last day, because one day you will wake up and be right. So you and I can say, oh, God's patient, and that's true. But if you hear his voice today, harden not your heart. What am I saying? God ain't going to leave him behind, but tomorrow is not promised to any of us. All right? Uh, next question. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, oh, Lord Jesus. Uh, this is a faith question. Woo! Do we have time to even go down that road? Do we? Let me, let me, let's do this one. Uh, number five, under faith, it says exactly what is holiness and do I have to be perfect? Bishop Denson, let me, <laughs> Archbishop Denson, why don't you answer that for us? Um, Rapid fire. What is holiness and do I have to be perfect?
1: Well, let me answer the, the, the part B of that. No, you don't have to be perfect.
0: Good.
1: <laughs> no, you don't have to try to be something that's impossible. Yes, right. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, and the first part of that is what exactly is holiness? And, and I, I, I think if you have grown up in church for a long time, like I, I, I'm, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. And the old school church uh, had a definition of holiness. Come on. Uh, that was very external. Yes. Meaning that uh, what you wear, and uh, you, if you were holy, you'd wear a long dress, or if you were holy, you uh, uh, you, you, you didn't go to movies, or if you, uh, all these different things that, uh, all these different you things. Or you didn't wear makeup or jewelry. You wear makeup. A lot
0: things. of that stuff just made people ugly. It didn't make them holy. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Tell the truth, pastor. Shame the devil. Go ahead, brother.
1: <laughs> so but yeah I mean even with the whole makeup piece and, and, and see see holiness Good. is not external uh, holiness starts on the inside yes it does it's an inside job and, and, and when it starts an in the inside then what's on the inside then manifests itself to the outside um, you know once you once God really starts dealing with people and the Holy Spirit starts dealing with people about their relationship with him and and developing a relationship with him, there there are a lot of those do's and don'ts that we like to try to put on people. Uh, You know, God, you know, as we teach people to have a strong relationship with God, God works that out of people. You know, God deals with people's hearts about what they wear. God deals with people's hearts about what they do. God deals with people's hearts about what to say and and, and how to say it. And so so when we start talking about holiness, really, it it talks about being sanctified, being separated, being set apart, uh, being... uh, Fit for the master's use, uh, being someone that can uh, that is that is not like, uh, uh, not like I guess the world is a, is a term that sometimes we use in the church, but someone who is different, who's different in a good way, and so it, it, it comes from the it comes from the inside and emanates out of your relationship with God and with your and out of your walk with God, and as you do that, then God deals with all the external pieces.
0: Very good. Did you want to jump? He covered it. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm just going to jump in. Rapid fire. Y'all ready for this? Rapid fire. Uh, the word holy. Uh, let, me, let me back up for a second. Uh, because if you read 1 Peter, uh, you see where Peter writes, and he quotes the Old Testament, where the scripture says, be holy as I am holy. That's what the scripture said. As God speaking through the prophet. Be holy as I am holy. How are we going to do that? It starts with understanding what the word holy means. You alluded to it. The word holy literally means altogether separate. Altogether separate. Altogether removed from anything that is unlike God. Uh, So there are several places, like in 1 Corinthians, it says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Amen. Amen. Bless you, mom. What fellowship does light have with darkness? In another place in James, it says to be, uh, it says friendship with the world is enmity with God. That means I can't go through life loving everything God hates and still claim I love God. At some point, even if I'm not perfect in every decision that I make, I have to separate myself from what God hates. At some point, I've got to put down what God hates and become separate from it. I can't be all wrapped up in it and say, I love God. And so when God says, be perfect or be holy as I am holy, what he's saying is, separate yourself. In in, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 or Romans 7, it says, uh, come out from among them and be ye separate. And touch not the unclean thing. And I will be a God to you and you will be my people. What was he saying? He says, come out, separate yourself. And the problem is, if you put a Christian side by side with somebody who ain't a Christian today, you can't even tell the difference. They cuss just as much. Drink, get high, live anyway, just as the person who ain't saved. I'm not being critical or judgmental. But what Jesus is saying is there has to be a distinction. And that's what holiness is. I have to be altogether separate from anything that is contrary to his perfect will for my life. If you and I were on trial for being Christians, would there be enough evidence to convict us is the question. That's what holiness is. Are we going to stumble and fall? Yes. And when I say to remove ourselves from the world, this is what I'm not not saying. In fact, Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. I'm not saying you can't have friends who don't know Jesus. In fact, you need to have a lot of friends who don't know Jesus so you can share yeah. Jesus with them.
1: That's right.
0: But at some point, at some point, I have to make a decision that my life will be a reflection of Jesus. That I can be like Daniel and be a, a teenager, a teenager in a heathen culture and still be set apart. And still say, I will not defile myself with the king's meat. It's okay for everybody else. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what it means to be holy. To be all together, separate from anything that is contrary to God.
3: Mm -hmm. Quickly, I just had a situation a couple weeks ago. Um, I went to a a meeting, homeschool meeting. It's all moms, all the kids running around. And there was some confusion about something And then the women there, they just started, we don't even know each other. They just started murmuring, oh, we're not going to do this. This is, she doesn't have her stuff together. Oh, this is such a waste of time. Aren't you ready to go? And literally I have failed that test so many times just to, you know, just hee hee laugh it off. So I just lifted my eyebrows up. I said, it'll be okay. We all just have to give each other grace. And my heart is racing because then people get stiff-necked and they don't want to talk to you because you're not joining in. That was being holy. Because this is what I do know is I wasn't in front teaching that class, but there are many times when I'm in front teaching and I need some grace. And I just thought, as women, we don't need to be talking about each other. I mean, we're moms. We got our kids. We're trying to figure this out. We're trying to read the Bible. And it, the meeting was a mess. It, it wasn't well organized. But how many times do the kids get sick at night or we forgot we had to do something? And I mean, we just need to give grace. So that was being holy in that moment. Not for me to pat myself on the shoulder, because I have failed that test so many times. I don't even know if that one token counted. But anyway, it was a good start. When You know, something as simple as that if somebody leans over at work and is murmuring and complaining we have a brand new director for our homeschool co-op she just had a baby June 6th mm. and so meetings have fall behind and everything that's not where I'm going to go I just told her hey if you need anything you can call on me because I don't want her to be anxious she calls me she texts me on Friday night hey I need a teacher for this other class I have graduated from teaching I have retired from teaching I don't want to teach them kids I don't even know them kids and as homeschool homeschool kids they just could be weird except for Levi I'm just trying to you know <laughs> make sure he's not weird and you know all this kind of stuff and then that means I got to prepare and I'm just trying to get women's bible study together and I'm going through all of this as I texting absolutely because guess what our director has not given her heart to Jesus yet Mm -hmm. even though this is Christian education in my life she'd asked me about church I said you cannot come to my church I just want to be your friend I don't want you going back and forth about whether we're friends and church and everything and since we've been together she's been leaving Louisville and going to Chuck Swindoll's church in
4: Frisco awesome
3: with her three boys, I don't want to teach, but I told her, yes, I'll do it. I still don't want to teach, but it's just because my witness for her, I'm a believer. And so sometimes, and guess what? I said yes at 930 on Friday night at three o'clock yesterday. She said, we're just going to blend the classes together because another family can't make it. So I would have said no and been fussing about something that didn't even happen. I said, well, if you need me, you know how you're real happy. I was like, but if you need me, I'm your girl. And so it works out. So being holy, those are simple holy moments. Absolutely. By keeping your word, being a part of a community, supporting one another, not giving in to the gossip. I just have to say something. So instead of me just looking at him, I just said, oh, it's going to be okay. We all need grace. Right. And this last thing. Somebody jumped in front of me in the line yesterday at the Marshalls. And... <laughs> A lady, I guess she was nervous because I had my braids all the way down. I had my African dress on. I was just happy to be at the Marshalls, you know. And I was just dealing with the size of these jeans I had to buy. So I was just minding my own business. But somebody got in front of me. She only had one thing. I'm a firm believer shoppers must stick together. I'm not going to give anybody any trouble. She didn't bump my cart. I could look around (laughs) at some more stuff. When I left out of the store, another lady was like, Oh, the the person jumped in front of you. And so I'm so sorry. I didn't want to start a war. And the person was with her, and so this is being holy. I said, it is so okay. I said, shoppers, we have to stick together. We can just give each other grace. Mm -hmm. That was a moment of being holy. I didn't know what she was really talking about. I didn't even care because I had been at the Marshalls. And I did find a pair of jeans my size. So I was just so happy to myself. But those are moments of being holy when we refuse to take up an offense that the world says you can be offended. We refuse to partake in conversations or ways that the world the way the world would do things. Those are simple steps of being holy. It's not just walking around with no makeup on and wearing dresses or not going to the movies. There are some movies that we should not see, but that's for another time. There are some times when we do need to be separate, but God has given us so much creativity in arts. I just really don't think he's that uptight. There are certain levels of profanity that we don't want to cross over just because we want to protect that very great treasure in this vessel of clay. But I just think that, that if we just simple steps of obedience cause us to just experience the blessing and the overflow of God.
0: Very good. Very good. Excellent. All right. What time is it? 1135. Okay. I got to let y'all go. I got to let y'all go. Can we just answer one real quick? Can we answer one? Let me just answer one real quick. One real quick. Uh, Man, should I answer that? I don't think we should answer it. Which one is it? huh? It's number nine. I think it's number nine. The last one I sent you. He said, do it quick. Don't talk about it, just do it. And then- yeah, but I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. Number nine. Oh. The last one. Should we do it? I think this will be helpful. It says, after working in the daycare field for four years, I now realize I'm not interested anymore. Uh, so maybe the person is sensing transition, they've lost passion. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like the children and how cute they are, but I'm not as passionate as I once was. Instead, I want to work in a field of creativity. That's where my heart is. But because I lack the experience, I'm not sure if my dream job will come true. So should I stay to pay the bills or leave to work towards my dreams? This sounds like a question for Steve Harvey. And the reason I say that, he wrote the book Jump. Just seems like somebody's ready to jump. Uh, rapid fire. What would be a suggestion to this person? If you had one minute on the elevator with them, what would you say? Stay at the job. Leave the job. What do you do? Pray. <laughs> okay. Good answer.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I would really be, be and, and I've been in this scenario before because uh, it, the the thing is, you're not praying on whether you should make the move or not. The prayer is for timing. That's the biggest part. Because if you do things too soon, you could leave things in array. If you do it too quickly, you may not be ready. So pray for timing. Mm. Uh, it, it seems like they know that this is what they, they believe. You know, they're passionate about doing it. But it's not just you know, what to do, when to do it is the
0: biggest thing. Good. Fantastic. T.
4: Damon took my answer. Did he? I, I, I would say pray, too. Um, because you have a desire, and I believe God gives us desires of our hearts that may be a God thing, but then we go back to seasons. Is it the season? So pray for direction.
0: Very
2: good. Yeah, I mean, prayer is is the key thing. I think the other thing is, as a part of prayer, look for the Lord to open doors, um, because that might give you an indication as to when your season actually comes up. If all of a sudden opportunities start presenting themselves that weren't there before, then, then, then pursue those opportunities and see what the Lord is doing.
3: Fantastic. Pray, number one, get a plan, number two. So keep your job and give it an expiration date. Keep your job And then say, okay, well, in six months, I want to be right here. Well, after that six months, don't just jump ship. We are never going to tell you just to quit your job. Uh, You would have to know that. That'll have to be something that the Lord will tell you. But you can uh, have a plan. Never feel that you can't have your dream. Never feel that. Like T said, God gives us the desires of our heart. As long as you've got breath in your body, there is still an opportunity for your dream to come true. Age is not It doesn't even matter. It does not matter anymore. I've been listening to some podcasts. We actually went to Global Leadership uh, Summit. We were there, Ray and I were there for two days. It is don't think about age, how many years you have in experience. It doesn't matter. It is there is a market for everything in the world in America. And so have a pray, have a plan and work yourself out of that job. Whether it's volunteering in that area of creativity, whether it's studying it some more as you're still on this job to pay bills, but you can keep paying your bills and just make a seamless transition into that dream job. And we can give you, you know, offline, we can recommend some books and things that can uh, help you achieve those goals.
0: Absolutely. So same thing they said, pray for sure. Prayer will give you the the, uh, timing. Uh, It will also help you develop a plan, a plan of execution. A plan of execution. Uh, in the Army, we had uh, two things. There was the preparatory command, Pastor Jesse, retired lieutenant colonel, and then you had a command of execution. Sometimes what you feel when you begin to feel that prompting on the inside of you saying it's time to transition from the daycare to a creative, something in creative arts, is the preparatory command. So if we're standing in formation, a preparatory command, if we're going to salute, the total command is present arms. That's, how, that's, that's the command you give to salute. But the preparatory command is present. Once you hear present, you know that the next command, which is the command of execution, is about to come. The present only prepares you, it's a preparatory command, and that's what you're feeling. You're hearing that preparatory command present. When you hear the word arms, that's when you salute. So most times uh, we start to hear the preparatory command and we get ahead of God. He hasn't given us the command of execution. So to go back to what everybody said, there's two ways to approach it. Number one, I like to call it the R. Kelly approach, which is I believe I can fly. That means <laughs> uh, you're ready to quit your job and you just quit your job. And how many realize you quit your job, they stop paying you? Yeah. <laughs> did, did anybody ever experience that when you quit your job, they stop paying you? Yeah, yeah. so, 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 so unless you have a backup plan, you don't want to quit your job. Some people think I'm going to jump and I'm going to grow wings on the way down. do not always happen that way. So like Pastor Wendy said, keep your job and start to work your plan. I like to call that the Tarzan approach. I'm from Liberia. I've seen Tarzan a couple times. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm like, really? So Tarzan Tarzan had a thing he would do with the vine, right? You hold on to one vine, jump off the tree, you have one vine. And before he laid hold of the next vine, right, before he let go of the vine he had in his hand, he laid hold of the next vine. And when he was reaching for the next vine, he didn't let go of what he had in his hand until he grabbed the next one. And so there's an approach that is important that you, the I believe I can fly approach, sometimes will backfire. And let me tell you why. This is the last thing I'm going to say, I promise you, (laughs) Joshua. Let me tell you why I believe I can fly approach will backfire sometimes. I get a lot of sermon material from sitting and watching movies with my kids. So a few years ago, Madagascar 2 came out. And Madagascar 2 is this movie about these animals that have been in the zoo their whole life, inadvertently being shipped back to Africa. Are y'all with me? Um, if you've been in the zoo your whole life, there's a whole different way of life than living in the wild. If you've been working a job where you work 40 hours and you get a paycheck, it's totally different. Earning money in the wild where if you don't kill, you don't eat. I'm talking to somebody this morning. When you work a job, you just show up, you do what you got to do, and there's going to be a paycheck on Friday. When you quit your job and you start living out in the wild, if you don't kill, you don't eat. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Because all those animals had the instinct to live in the wild, but they just hadn't been developed to live in the wild. The instinct you feel, the dream you have is from God, but you've been living in the zoo your whole life. So it doesn't mean you can't go into the wild. What it's saying is life in the wild is a whole lot different than what you used to. And what ends up with most people, they leave the zoo, go into the wild, and the wild eats them up and they abandon the dream. It's not that God doesn't want you in the wild. There's a whole different set of rules in the, in the wild that you now have to become accustomed to, that you have to acclimate yourself to. So follow the dream, but realize life in the zoo is different than life in the wild. And as you pray, God will give you wisdom for how to accurately navigate life in the wild. Because you are a lion, and instinctively, you're created to hunt. But your whole life, somebody's been feeding you meat in a cage. Are you hearing me? That's good. So make sure, make sure before you let go of that vine that the Lord has started to develop you in the wild. That you're not just hearing the preparatory command, but you're hearing the command of execution now go. Let me pray for you.